You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Let them go. Chapter 3. Back to Ravenwood. Do you realise, said Amanda, that we're going to get Aunt Cleo's on All Hallows' Eve? Well, perhaps the old witch could get on a broomstick and fly down to meet us instead, Rebecca replied, pins between her teeth, as she put the finishing touches to a mended curtain. That's awful. It's awful that she couldn't be bothered to come and see her brother put in the ground. She's old. She's not that old. Maybe she didn't like him. They haven't... Hadn't spoken for years. Do you not like her either? Of course I like her. It's just that I have to leave Polly in sole charge of Havisham's for two days straight. No offence, dear Polly. None taken, miss. Polly put in from the other end of the curtain as Rebecca concluded her rant. Nearly all of which will be spent travelling. We really can't stay any longer. Why? It's just... It's been a long time since we were there. It would simply be pleasant to explore again. And you know she's lonely since Uncle Matthew died. Amanda reflected for a moment. Hey now, Father didn't attend Matthew's funeral. Neither did Mother. What's good for the goose, am I right? I would have gone. I know you would. She cried most of the first day. And then the rest we just had fun and larked about. Well, I was busy with Mother. Seems like only us young'uns have the intestinal fortitude to travel nowadays. Rebecca ignored what had just been implied and stepped back to critically appraise her handiwork. There. It's as good as I'm going to get it today. She packed up her sewing kit as Polly scurried off to serve an approaching customer. Rebecca stooped to ruffle the greying ears of Jack Robinson as he slumbered on a blanket next to the stove. Are you ready? <clears throat> Are you ready? Not really. We need to make a stop at Blackthorn before we leave Bristol. I've forgotten my wide-brimmed hat for when it gets sunny on the journey. I can't abide having flickering bright lights in my eyes, and I suspect the coat I've brought will be better for autumn than winter. But it is autumn. Yes, but English weather is lying bollocks. Don't say bollocks, it's not genteel. It is bollocks, though. If I plan for autumn weather, we shall get winter weather. And if you wear a thick, heavy coat, you'll get hot and bothered, especially on the train, and you'll throw your wide-brimmed hat out the window again. Because the weather lies. And it changes its mind depending on whatever I'm wearing. I shall need my coat for when it gets cold, my umbrella for when it gets wet, my hat for when it gets sunny. I haven't packed nearly enough. We're there for one night. You said so yourself. In response to this, Rebecca paced around the back room, opening and closing drawers, adjusting pictures, and turning out the current contents of her travelling bag. Listen, I'm worried we'll lose the shop too. But right now, looking at you in this state, I'm wondering if it might be the best thing for you. What? If losing the shop gets you outside, then so be it. If losing the house gets you outside... Sleeping in the street! Outside of this... Amanda indicated the four walls around them. Then frankly, things could be far worse. I happen to be very fond of this. And I happen to be very fond of you. I want what's best for the shop, but I want what's best for my sister more. Do you? There was an excruciating silence. Amanda looked hurt and confused. Rebecca backpedalled. I'm sorry. Of course you do. And you're right. I must leave. Eventually. I have faith that Father will have served our futures well. That makes one of us. 
There. And with that, she fastened her back. Are you finally ready? Rebecca straightened up, let out a long breath, and hefted the handle. Are you sure you'll be all right, Polly? Yes, Miss Rebecca. Polly insisted confidently from behind the counter. They began what felt like an abnormally long walk, and Amanda ended up bodily dragging Rebecca through the doorway and across the muddy street to where their carriage awaited. Stepping out was a tall gentleman in a scarlet coat with a high white collar, flecks of mud spattered up the side of his knee-length leather boots. His hair was curly and dark, flanked with impressive sideburns. His serious expression twisted into a smile as he greeted the two sisters and held the carriage door open. Thank you, my darling. Amanda cried out, crossing the distance between them to embrace him in the road. Rebecca edged past them both to squeeze into the coach, and they joined her shortly thereafter. Rafe? Amanda asked her husband as they rattled around the hairpin bends of the Bristol streets. Do you know where this house we're going to got its name? I imagine the wood it's in is full of ravens. You're close. The house is located off a track through the woods that leads up to a crossroads. And do you recall what used to be placed at crossroads? A gibbet? The kind they used to hang the bodies of executed criminals in? Yes. I wonder at your macabre imagination. Shush, this is history. Amanda patted her hand. Much of the time, indeed, these were executed men, hanged by the neck until they be dead and all that. But I read up on this particular crossroads, and it was one of the kind that they put you in a gibbet alive. Oh. Rebecca shuddered. And travellers could see highwaymen held to terrible example, thus deterring future crime. And it worked, because now there's no such thing as crime. Well, highwaymen are in shorter supply now. Certainly the dandy kind could do with a comeback. So does this mean the ravens were actually crows? Most definitely. Hence the change of name in 1814 from Crowswood. What are you getting to with all of this? There's always something with you. What I'm getting to is that today being Samhain, this evening is said to be the night when the curtain between the worlds of the living and the dead is drawn back and the spirits walk the earth. And it just seems like being in the middle of a forest where so many men met their violent and agonizing ends would be a bit... Terrifying? I was going to say exciting. So we must remember to leave some food up for the dead, that they will pass us by. They pulled up to a gaunt building with a sign that said, Braithwaite and Dawson, solicitors, in obstinate iron letters. A barrel-chested man with a beery red face strode from the doorway, gripping a leather satchel. He entered the carriage and sat down, puffing and shaking rain off himself. Mr. Dawson. Mr. Culver, Mrs. Culver, Miss Wolverton. He replied with a nod, sitting back in his black coat and pinstripes, as though all pleasantries had been accounted for. You have the will? Right there in your case, Rebecca remarked, gesturing. Indeed. We're ten miles from our house. Could we go there and hear what's written on it? (laughs) Oh no, not at all. Let me understand, sir. Put in Amanda, seeing her sister's glance. You could save yourself a posterior numbing two-day round trip. Have your work done within the hour today. Collect the same fee 
And be back here for whatever bacchanalian revelries you previously had planned for tonight? And you won't take this opportunity? No. Your aunt must be present at the reading. Could you read it to us and then go and read it to her? No. You two have to be present at the reading. Can we pay you to do two readings? No. Can you post our aunt a copy of what you have there? No. Telegram? No. Carrier pigeon? This is absurd. Yes, it is. It's absurd that we both have to miss two days of business to conduct an hour of it. It's absurd that my father should have any say over what happens to the shop our mother was left by her father. It's absurd. And yet that is the way things are. Why? But it was no use. This journey would be even duller than those they took as children. Amanda cuddled closer to Rafe and gazed out of the window. Rebecca, meanwhile, had resolved to watch the solicitor like a hawk, and should he fall into a doze before they reached the railway station, their point of no return, the satchel would be open in moments, yielding up its secrets. However, he slung it under his muscular arms, which would have to be moved to retrieve the documents, thus sealing the fate of all within the carriage. Rebecca ceased fighting this inexorable eventuality as the time went on, Perhaps it would be fine to spend a while with Aunt Cleo. She would not have gotten another chance to see this woman alive, had she declined. A year after Tim was taken from them, the Wolvertons had returned to Ravenwood in the late summer of 1862. Things were brittle now. Joviality was forced. Their father did not laugh anymore. On the third day, the girls had gotten bored and dared to undertake a game of hide-and-seek in the woods. It felt strange, and they were only out for a few minutes. Upon their return, they saw Charles pacing down from the western edge of the forest, his shoes wet from the stream. His face was a mask of fury. He visited upon them the roaring fit of a lifetime, his voice cracking and echoing across the lawns outside Ravenwood as Amanda cowered behind Rebecca, both of them weeping. They retreated to their room without supper, and that night they heard an argument break out through the floor, male and female voices rising and falling in sudden muffled spikes, culminating in an almighty crash, which they later learned was their father flinging a heavy dish at Uncle Matthew. They did not sleep that night either, and the family left the next day. Charles would never return to that house, and went off to Africa a month later. And the year after that, Rebecca would recall the absence of male energy, both in their travelling party and in Ravenwood House, with only Matthew there to represent his gender. It had been that way at home, coupled with a noticeable diminishment of light as their mother had developed a brief preoccupation with wasting candles and lamp oil. But now, returning to the scene of the crime, the disparity was more keenly felt. An era had been closed off, and things were darker now. Rebecca had asked vainly to bring Jack Robinson with her this time, as he had been under her care since Timothy had passed, but once again, the Beagle was left home with the housemaid in one of the last years they could afford to keep her. It was after this that they stopped returning to Cleo as a family. Amanda went down there for a lengthy period as part of her tutelage, but this would be the first time since she was 13 that Rebecca would set foot in Ravenwood. She wondered if the ghosts would still be there. 
have been listening to the New Century Multiverse, Let Them Go, Episode 3, Back to Ravenwood. Written, narrated, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Rebecca Wolverton, performed by Sharon Shaw. Amanda Culver, performed by Theo Lee. Rafe Culver, performed by Spencer Lieb. Burwell Dawson, performed by Matt Ramsey. Polly, performed by Maya Santandria. Meltdowns, composed for Let Them Go by Gil Steinberg. Dark Hallway and Vanishing, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio. The production of New Century is funded by you guys on Patreon. And our special $15 sponsors get name-checked each week, so a huge extra thank you to Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Sarah Montgomery, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finn Barnicol, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, David Garcia-Abril, and Lorraine Chisholm. I will eventually publish the outtakes for Let Them Go, and my personal favourite is from this episode, where Theo took 15 tries to correctly pronounce the word gibbet. And it was one of the kind where they put you in a gibbet. Gibbet! (laughs) (laughs) Please do take the time to jump on iTunes and give the show a review if you want to help us reach new ears. We always need the feedback in the right place. Tweets disappear into time, so eventually do posts on Patreon. Reviews stick around and let people know years down the line that this ongoing audio project is worth listening to. And we shall see you next week for the reading of the will. (laughs) 